To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. That's Psalm 123, which along with Psalms 121 and 122 are the Psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, November the 23rd, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. As I said yesterday, we're looking at prophecy this week, the week prior to the beginning of uh, the season of Advent. And today's prophecy is in uh, Nahum, the first 13 verses of that book. And then we're also over in 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 25, and in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 13 to 22. So I've always said with respect to Nahum, and I've only taught it like once ever, I've always said that that book, is the the prophecy that Nahum is given to to deliver is the prophecy that Jonah longed to deliver. <laughs> it, it is a an oracle concerning Nineveh, and it, it's the it's the word of God's judgment against Nineveh, which is exactly what Jonah wanted to go to Nineveh and prophesy. He he'd got to go pronounce it, but he didn't get to see it happen because the people of Nineveh repented. And so Nahum is the one who gets to deliver the oracle concerning Nineveh from the Lord. The Lord's a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. So so are the people of Nineveh, or the Babylonians, are they enemies of God and adversaries of God? And the answer is yes, but then the question becomes, in what way? Are they enemies? And they're enemies because of the way they've treated God's people. God used them as an instrument of judgment against his people, but they carried it too far. And, and that was the, the, the brutality of the Babylonian regime is, is exactly why they ended up being so hated and the reason that Jonah wanted to prophesy this prophecy against them was because their brutality towards God's people. They carried the judgment further than God, the limits God had set for that judgment. And so they became his adversaries because they were enemies of his people. That's true today. Anybody who's enemies of God's people are enemies of God. The Lord is slow to anger and in great power, great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Which is, this is a um, statement from Exodus 34. It's a recapitulation of who God self-revealed himself as to Moses. And what we know is the 13 attributes of divine mercy. But, But we also know that he will by no means clear the guilty. So those who fail to repent, those who fail to confess and then to repent of their sins, are are those that God will not clear. Your guilt remains because you haven't offered that guilt to the Lord. But he is slow to anger and great in power, abounding in mercy, and all those things that he revealed back in Exodus 34. And so that's a brief little recapitulation of that right there. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth 
heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. He, <clears throat> this is the, the, the birth pangs of the new creation are what's in store here. It, it, but it also has to do with the understanding that in these places where he says the rivers are drying up, they're worshiping other gods, and those gods are fertility gods, typically, and, and gods and goddesses both, actually. Uh, and the problem is is that, that God's in charge of all these things, and so when there's drought, then that's due to the Lord. It's a judgment coming from God on those societies, and it's a judgment not just on the people there, but on their gods as well. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces before by him. I mean, it sounds, this judgment sounds awful. However, it goes on to say the Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of his adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? This is uh, Psalm 2 language here. He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. I mean, it's a useless thing for you to plot against the Lord or the Lord's anointed. For they are entangled they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dried. For you came, from you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and burst your bonds apart. So he's going to set his people free from Babylon in the in the immediate context of that prophecy but as as peter spoke yesterday what he was saying was is that that the prophets knew that there was an immediate context to their prophecy but they also were aware that there was a longer term context as well and and that would apply throughout the generations so long as this life endures that there was a secondary context. And so they, they were aware, the prophets were, that they were prophesying for us so that we could see Christ in light of their prophecy. So they knew that there were two horizons to the prophecy, to the prophetic words they were given. They, were, they realized that this would benefit coming later generations as well as those among whom they lived. And so we hear that in, in Nahum's prophetic promise, I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. They knew that that would be a comforting and encouraging word for us today in ways they themselves didn't realize at the time. And so the fulfillment of that prophecy is Jesus, and the ultimate fulfillment of it will be the end of all things and the recapitulation of all things in the recreation of the heavens and the earth. In Matthew's gospel reading today, people were bringing children to Jesus that he might lay hands on them and pray. So they're asking him to bless their children, and the disciples rebuked the people. And we saw this um, a couple of weeks ago in the Sunday sermon, about three weeks ago now, in the Sunday sermon, that that, that when blind Bartimaeus starts crying out, when as Jesus passes through Jericho, um, He's crying out, and the people there are rebuking him, telling him to shut up because he's bothering the master here. They're treating Jesus in a way that sets him apart from them, which is a good thing. 
but it fails to take seriously the incarnation. They treat him like a celebrity, probably is the best way to say it. And so here, the, same, the disciples are doing the same thing. They're turning people away with their children when Jesus has already told them that the greatest in the kingdom of God are those who become like little children. So why they're pushing them away, I'm, I'm just not sure. Jesus said, though let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. It's something that's important for us in the church. It's important for us to make sure that our children are raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and and grow up to know truly who he is and to know and understand the gospel. It's important for us to teach our children in our homes as well as in the church. We need to take children's ministry incredibly seriously. And behold, a man then comes up to him and says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So so he's asking an odd question. What do I have to do to have eternal life? So he recognizes, apparently, that there's something he has not done. There's a longing in this man, and there's an understanding in him that that says, I don't know that whether or not I have eternal life. How could I know? What What could I do? that would secure that for me once and for all. And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who is good. And good, as I've said before, means exactly the way it was intended to be. And that's God. Because there's no shadow of change in him. He's exactly the way he is supposed to be, eternally. I mean, I can have a moment when I recognize, wow, that's what I was created for, and you feel confident and good in that moment. God has that moment every single day. There's no change in him. That That's something we need to understand as we interpret the Word of God, is that there's no shadow of change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's important. And, and because he is that, he is the pole. He is the, the true north because he doesn't change. And so that's what Jesus means when he said there's only one who is good. The rest of us are becoming either good or bad, one way or another. He is, and he is always that way and always has been. And so he says, um, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to them, which ones? That's an interesting question, right? I mean, if I told you that we were supposed to keep the commandments, would you ask me which ones? If you really understood things, then you would, because that's a, that's a truism that we do need to understand. And Jesus is saying that, that he limits those things to the second part of the Ten Commandments, those things that, that are duty and obligations to others, and then backs it all the way up to honor your father and mother, but doesn't go the next step of your duties towards God. It's an interesting thing that he says there, is that he, he goes from sort of backwards in the chain and says that, that don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that he leaves out the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He doesn't even include that. And then the young man said to him, well, all these I've kept, what do I still lack? So he's aware that there's something missing in his own discipleship. There's something missing, and he doesn't have the confidence to know what his eternal fate will be. And 
Jesus said to him, If you'd be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So he chose what he could see rather than what he could not see. He, he didn't have eyes open to know this. He knew that there was something missing or lacking. But once what was exposed, once it was, once what it was was exposed to him, he didn't have an answer for that because he loved the things of earth too much to actually want to inherit the kingdom of God. He wasn't willing to give up his earthly inheritance, the things that he enjoyed, the things that that he could see for this treasure in heaven that Jesus offered him and an opportunity to come and follow him as well. Well, The good news is, is that whatever you lack, Jesus doesn't because he, like God, is good, which means he's perfect. And so Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go do this. Well, Jesus laid down that kingdom said no to the offer of all the kingdoms of the earth, all the things that he could see in order to receive the crown of glory that is eternal. And he calls us to do the same, calls us to have the same attitude towards everything in this life. In this First Peter passage, he begins with, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, <clears throat> set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, set your hope on that which you cannot see. But the promise of that is there, the security of the promise of that is there in the resurrection itself. The fact that Jesus came back from the dead tells you, he says, everything you need to know. And you can set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't have any concerns or worries about everything in the world because your hope should be fully on the grace that will be revealed. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't act the way you used to. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we are called to a different way of life. We're called not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, but as Paul would say, that transformed by the renewing of your mind. So set your mind on things above. The passions, let the passions of your mind be changed into the kingdom of God. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So, in other words, Walk humbly before your God during this time of exile, during your earthly life, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, like the young man's inheritance, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. What he's saying is is that God had a plan from before the foundation of the world. That plan was in place. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. God knew how all this was going to play itself out. He knew before he ever created us that Jesus would come and that these things would happen. And so everything else was a foreshadowing of what was to come, and that is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. 
having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. A powerful, powerful statement that, that everything else will pass away, but not him. Not the one who is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who is the lover of our souls. The one who has sent his son to die for us on the cross. The one who, before he created all things, knew that you would be the elect knew that we would need his sacrifice and came and did exactly that. So in the end, we know that that all the enemies of the cross will be dealt with. We know that all of that is true, but we also know that the Lord is good. And if you are enemies of the cross of Christ, then that's a choice you made. And you'll have to live and die with that choice. We should rejoice in the great salvation of our God.